Hello, Adam. We're going to talk about marijuana and stuff, aren't we? Sounds good. <laughs> Why did you get into... Because we call it plant medicine, would we? What would we call it? Yeah, definitely. It's a plant. It's a medicine. So yeah. plant medicine makes good sense. And why did you... What, where did your curios, curiosity begin with that? I've always enjoyed cannabis. Or at least I started to enjoy cannabis when I turned 19. I was in Amsterdam. It's the first time I ever used it recreationally. Before that, I was actually convinced that if you used cannabis, you were a bad person. Oh. So, so much so that I had a best friend that I grew up with during my uh, teen years that I defriended because he used cannabis. So he now he actually laughs. If, if I knew what you're doing now. No, he, he does. And he oh. laughs at me because he says, you remember that time that you stopped being my friend for like a decade because I used cannabis? It's like, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so I was, I was in Amsterdam. I was 19. I tried cannabis. I didn't really think much of it. Nothing happened um, the first time I smoked it, which is actually a very common occurrence for most people. And, and we can get into that later. There's some science behind that. But... Um, I tried the cannabis, nothing happened. I let it go. I came back to Australia and then I gave it a go again and it really worked and I was just blown away by it. You know, it's the first time I did a drug that was, you know, uh, illegal in Australia because I was very, very conservative. And, uh, you know, eventually that just led to an interest in using cannabis mm. for my own personal use. It helped me through some pretty tough times, actually. I went through a breakup. I used cannabis that eased the pain. Um, and then, you know, that was it. And uh, by about 2014, I went to America and over there, it has been uh, in California specifically uh, medically available since the early 1990s. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, the Americans have figured out a way to get high. Like, good on them. That's fucking cool. Um, fast forward a few years later, doing some research and I started to see, hey, there's actually some legitimate value to this plant from a medical perspective mm. and uh, i was actually in my parents front yard i was living in sydney at the time i was in their front yard reading about some technology apps that were being developed in the states for the um, use of medical cannabis and i made the decision then and there to start investing my entire being into bringing cannabis to australia um, one because i wanted to because it's an area of interest it's an opportunity. And uh, I saw the benefit of cannabis being used for people that I love who mm. were very sick and who'd never used it before, mainly my mum. Mm. She's been sick for years and I've always been jokingly saying, mum, just use cannabis. It will help you with, with your anxiety, with your eating issues and, and so on. So mm. that was the birth of my entrance into the cannabis space. Right. And when you said bring it to Australia, you obviously mean bring it in legally. Legally, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's what, and that's what your line of work is now, right? Yes. So right. now for the last four and a half years, almost five years now, I've been working... In the, in the legal market of uh, medical cannabis here in Australia and, and internationally, but mainly in Australia, um, focusing on um, raising the awareness of the use of cannabis, but also creating or aiming to create fair systems for accessibility of cannabis and affordability of cannabis and so on. So mm. just bringing it to the center of attention, mm. really. Mm. That's the, the, and, and that's created multiple facets of opportunity for me because it's found me in positions where I meet people in government and industry, people with financial um, um, backing and guiding them in the direction of better cannabis policy, mm. better cannabis industry, um, and just cannabis for, for humanity. And I think that's going to have a set of positive flow on effects, not just to cannabis, but to, to, to other, um, let's say, uh, illegal potential medicines like psilocybin and mm. LSD and iboga mm. and so on. So I think it's, it's really a... It's a Trojan horse of sovereignty, I like to call it. Mm, mm. Um, when I first met you, I mentioned that I really see this as an so empowering tool for sovereignty because it, it just it it it, 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 it in, 
it impacts so much of our broken society in so many positive ways. So it's just we're at the beginning of a, I call it the renaissance of uh, of uh, cannabis. We're only just digging into the beginning of what this plant could be for humanity, not only from a medicine, but just across every single industry you can think of. Mm. Cannabis can infiltrate and, and, and update its use. So. And can you go into a bit of the, like the, the nitty gritty details of like w- w- to give us an idea of how much of it we don't know about? Like you're saying, there's certain cab- cannabinoids, yeah. and they have particular effects on you over ones that have different effects on you. And can you just give a bit of an overview of that? Yeah, sure. So, so the cannabis plants c- composed of about 700 compounds. Yeah. Um, about 140 or so of those are called cannabinoids or phytocannabinoids. Um, there are also flavonoids and terpenoids. Um, and, and these basically make up the, the cannabis plant. Um, now, over the last, in, in about, from, from the 1960s to the, to the early 2000s, there was some research that came out of Israel where um, it's really quite funny. The the gentleman, his name's Raphael Moshulam. He's probably what would be deemed as the godfather of cannabis. He obtained. It's, it's only in Israel, but he obtained cannabis that had been confiscated um, by the police. He brought it to his lab. He started researching it. But through his research, he discovered the the metabolic pathways in in initially in animal models of these cannabinoid receptors that exist in the human body, and eventually discovered in, in about 19, in the late 1990s, what's called the endocannabinoid system, which is one of the most significant discoveries in medical history. Um, it's it's an incredibly powerful physiological system that governs, um, it basically maintains our homeostasis state, so the, the internal environment maintaining its balance, regardless of the external environment's influence. Um, and I'll discuss that a little later because it's very important. But the cannabis plant produces these these compounds um, called cannabinoids, mainly THC and CBD, which are the ones that are the most popularized. But there's others like CBG and CBN and CBC and CBDA and THCA. And there's 140, so I can't name them all and I don't know them all. And it's very likely that they're going to be more discovered in the coming years because in the last couple of months, there was another 40 discovered. So... Um, in, in a lab in America. So the cannabinoids have different medicinal properties, each one of them in isolation. But the reason why I'm so excited about cannabis is that they all also work synergistically together, which is called the entourage effect. Now, the entourage effect is not exclusive to cannabis. It's, it's a, it occurs throughout nature, but it just so happens that cannabis is so rich with these, with these compounds that the, the net effect of all of these molecules working together is quite significant. So when you isolate cannabis, we can deem that there is medical properties to these cannabinoids individually, but when you combine them together, the, the net effect is quite significant, and we don't know enough about that. You basically, you've opened up Pandora's box, and you're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work and how these things work in combination in, in small groups and in larger groups. So, so really, it's just the beginning. We can't even fathom the, the number of combinations of these cannabinoids together to treat individuals. And then it even dives deeper into personalized health because um, each person will have their own deficiencies in um, their, their endogenous cannabinoids. So I'm going to explain the endocannabinoid system, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. Yeah? Yeah. So the endocannabinoid system is a set of receptors across your body. Primarily, primarily located in the brain, 
in the central nervous system, in the immune system, and the periphery nervous systems. Um, and basically, these receptors upregulate and downregulate neuroactivity throughout the body. Um, and they sit across the major systems in your body so that they are basically acting as communicators between the systems. And um, if there's too much activity in one system, they will downregulate the activity. And if there's, too much, if there's not enough activity, they'll upregulate the activity. So they're basically acting as this communication barrier between or this communication bridge between all of these vital systems. And your body produces what's called endocannabinoids, your endogenous cannabinoids. You're actually, technically, the funniest thing about cannabis is everyone's carrying cannabis on them because they've got their own endocannabinoids in their system. Now, the thing about cannabis is it produces what's called phytocannabinoids, which are these molecules that are either identical to our body's own endogenous cannabinoids, or they enhance the function of our body's own endogenous cannabinoids. So... There's researcher, his name's Ethan Russo. He's, he's also a very well-respected cannabis researcher. He's been in the space for decades. He's worked on some of the biggest cannabis projects in the world. Um, in fact, the, the, the current cannabis drug that is going through FDA or actually being approved by the FDA was in part founded by him. Hmm. And he proposes that a re- the reason why people get sick or, or primarily one of the main reasons why people get sick is because they're deficient in their body's own endogenous cannabinoids. And that yeah. means that you're out of balance. And that out of balance means that you start to have, you know, um, um, sicknesses occur. So the cannabis plant will supplement the cannabinoids that you're naturally deficient in. And that's why um, you're seeing this this proliferation in research and development and in um, cannabis being used as a medicine because it just our body is literally wired to use cannabis. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's uh, why there's so much excitement and, and possibility around the medicinal application of cannabis, mm. let alone the industrial application of mm. cannabis. Mm. It's, it's a bit trippy when you say it like that. Like there's, there's things in nature that when all around us that we grew up with nature we evolved with nature we are nature and then there's other there's other little species like we're a species this plant is a species that we can do something to or like have a relationship with and have a it, it it's like our friend it's or it's like our um it's like in a game you get a power up pack or like a mind expansion and you get that little thing it's quite bizarre it's almost like an artificial reality the fact that we've got these things out there not artificiality but you know like it's a, it feels like a simulation or something but i suppose we only say that because we've built simulations but the, but they're just the whole concept of we are nature and there's elements of nature that heal us that we're discovering and then on the scientific level you, you understand all these indiocrabra systems <laughs> that, are tr- that are like linked and that's the reason for them but on a more like macro scale like it's just like this it's cool that we've got these plants that are just harmonious with our body yeah and this is uh, i hope that i mean this is not this is not new knowledge i no. mean the, the shamans from the amazonian periods and in the amazon today and 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 the aboriginals i mean they're fully aware that we're integrated with nature and that's probably why they live harmoniously with nature and they have co-evolved and they understand which plant does what and they communicate with the plants and they have this symbiotic relationship. And, and I, I mean, I find that absolutely beautiful. I, I get goosebumps even bringing that up because mm. that's, that's, that's what we are. We've deviated from nature to a point now where we're so alienated from it and the repercussions of 
that alienation is, you know, net effect society today. And I don't need to talk about the problems with society today. I think it's pretty av- apparent. But the reason I'm so hopeful with cannabis is because I think it's going to be the first time, I hope it's going to be the first time where people realize, hey, I think we've been given a lot of misinformation and perhaps we should question the information that we've been given because for almost 80, almost 100 years now, from the 1930s really, we've been told cannabis has no medical value, it's it's bad for us, it's an evil drug, etc. But it's quite the opposite, it's the contrary. And, and still the UN, I mean the, the, the World Health Organization, have cannabis thc and cbd classified as schedule one and uh, between schedule one and schedule four mm-hmm. basically meaning that it has no medicinal value drug of addiction should be cl- it's in the same class as, as cocaine and uh, and lsd which it's it's uh, it's quite a, it's a it's a preposterous but uh, aren't classical psychedelics impossible to be addicted to marijuana is different but like I, apparently i heard i don't know where i heard it either and i could be wrong mm-hmm. but like mushrooms and lsd like it's it's they can't get addicted to them. Well, the for cannabis and these and psychedelics. I mean, I, I can't speak about psychedelics um, with much authority apart from personal experience and a bit of research. But um, the addiction level of cannabis, LSD, psilocybin, you are more likely to get addicted. the The addiction rate for coffee for caffeine is higher than cannabis. Yeah, no, no LSD. surprise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. man, I don't want to do LSD every day. I, in oh, fact, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm never doing DMT again. It's yeah, like, it's, I mean, I mean, no, I'm, that's that's an exaggeration, but you know, what I mean, like, it's anyone that has uh, trips on psychedelics, you don't just like it's you, you don't. It's like a fucking warrior's journey, like to be able to take on. on that shit. Yeah, I used to be a kid and i would want to do it every day and that mm. just demonstrates to you that i was a kid i was very mature it's like oh pretty colors bright bright beauty it's like oh i'm i'm integrated with the universe everything's beautiful but i was young and i didn't have as much um challenge in my life and as you get older it makes things much clearer to you like where where are you falling short as a person what have you mm. picked up from your past that are bugs in the system that you need to eradicate and that's tough stuff and cannabis can do this as well high doses of thc man that stuff will knock you off your feet mm. um so, so these are very, very powerful ancient tools and technologies that mm. humans can integrate into their health to mm. empower themselves to once again, we got out of bed with nature a while ago. We need to get back into bed and make love. Right? Mm-hmm. We just, we need to love nature again. And, and again, this plant is, it's, there's so much potential for it to heal the planet. I mean, just the hemp plant itself, you know, cannabis and hemp, there's, I can explain the differences, but the, the most basic of it is. Technically, on the definition level, um, hemp, industrial hemp, is defined as cannabis that has a specific amount of THC in it, like below 0.2% THC, and anything above is considered cannabis. But the, the cannabis, the hemp plant, it, it not only grows in very quick cycles and absorbs the carbon from the atmosphere, but it also sucks toxins from the earth. So it's got this incredible healing potential, not only for humans, but for the earth as well. Wow. So, so we're deforesting at rapid rates where we're, we're going nuts on paper and so on. And we're using fuels and we're, we're, we're making clothing from cotton and cannabis can literally be used to replace fuel. It can be used to build cars. It can be used to build houses, it can be used to make clothing. It can be used as a food source. Uh, and and it's it's higher in protein uh, it's it's high in protein and omega fats so we don't need to eat as much fish or meat it's just it's crazy it's so fascinating it's crazy man like yeah. this is just a, 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 a it's a wicked plan and 
I mean, that, I suppose that's exciting for like economic change because there's new growth potential and stuff because that's what it has to be relevant for, doesn't it? Like if we want to make sustainable change in the world, it needs to appeal to the business bonkers out there. Yeah. And because the, there's such big change that needs to happen and then you're like, it's, it becomes overwhelming, doesn't it? When, particularly when you look like look at countries like China causing such huge detriments to our planet but we... The only way the way you can make a change sustainable is through making it financially beneficial. Do you think? Yeah. Well, I question this a lot. Like, this is my biggest concern because you know I'm still haven't figured it. I've still got so much to learn. But oh yeah, the, I don't know. I don't know a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's I'm, that's, I'm that's, just stringing bits and pieces that's together. That's beautiful, though. <laughs> it's the beauty of it. Not knowing anything means we're so curious and we learn more. But first off, with China, interestingly enough, they produce the largest amount of CBD in the world. Right. Yeah, they grow hundreds of tons of CBD a year. So so that that's quite beneficial. The only problem is if it's a monocrop, if it's just one type of CBD, then it's not going to... It's, it's, like, it's like that entourage effect. You want to grow all these different types of cannabis plants. So it's absorbing all these different toxins and they all have mm-hmm. different properties. They're all mm-hmm. going to act differently. So, you know, hopefully that they're not just focusing on one crop, but um, they do produce the largest amount in the world, which is great. Um it needs to be it's better if it's organically grown because again it does it, because it's sucking those toxins out those are going to be represented in the plant in that extract so you'll need to remove those toxins but there'll still be trace elements perhaps um, which is why in Australia if you want to import cannabis there's some really strict regulations around that and we can we can discuss this later but on your point of making it financially making viable. it financially viable I don't know the answer to that I mean does that's the, the greater question is can capitalism work like then you, you need to explore capitalism because my, my, the greatest challenge I see about capitalism is it's always, it's, it's kind of like a zero sum game. You need to have a loser. Like there always needs to be, you know, getting better and making more and figuring out how to lower costs. And if you're trying to constantly figure out how to lower your cost, does that jeopardize or does that, um, yeah, does it jeopardize your moral compass to make cuts and, and diminish the quality of something and the end user then suffers as a result of that. Mm. And if that's the case, capitalism will always fail, I think. But I'm not an economic expert. I don't know. I haven't, I've thought deeply about this, but not deeply enough because there's just so much to think about. But it does concern me. But the, the fact is, though, because of this business interest, and you can see this in crypto as well, which I think is a fascinating space, but that business interest is pr- propelling this faster than than what we could have achieved without that business interest. Imagine, I mean, like if people would have seen the dollar value on this um, a while ago, they probably would have acted sooner. I mean, in, in Colorado, just this week, they surpassed a billion in tax revenue for the that's, medical and, and for the um, yeah. um, recreational cannabis. Like a billion in tax revenue, that is absolutely absurd. I mean, in, in Colorado, I don't know if you know much about, do you know much about Starbucks and how big Starbucks is in the States? Yeah. Yeah, there are more dispensaries in Colorado than there are Starbucks, like three to one. So it's just, it's exploding there. So people, I mean, people just, they just want access to this. And perhaps when you've got access to cannabis instead of an antidepressant or you're not, because I don't, I don't know what, if, if I think that you're numbing yourself, people numb themselves to, to get out, get out of this pain, to escape suffering. And I think that this doesn't close us up from feeling our suffering. I think it will tune us. It will tune us differently. It will, it will connect us to the earth differently if it's mm. if it's used as a medicine, not as a pharmaceutical. And there is some concerns that I have about making this into a pharmaceutical. But so far, the research doesn't support the pharmaceutical model for cannabis. It's just if you're isolating a single molecule, 
um, which is the typical the typical pharma model. Isolate the single molecule, put it into a pill, etc. Cannabis just does not work that way. I mean, it can work that way, but just not as good. Mm. If you've got a whole plant botanical, mm. and there are so many purists that just push that angle, so I don't think it'll ever become a true pharmaceutical like that. But if you're just isolating that single molecule and just having this, it's not going to be as effective as that whole plant mm. because uh, that whole plant's got what you need. Mm. And and then what's going to be really interesting in the coming years, and I hope that this happens because I I've, and I thought about this as well. I need to do more research, but but I propose that if we were to juice cannabis, if we were to grow cannabis ourselves or have someone grow it for us and it was a juiced product, and if you juice cannabis, you won't get high because everything's in the acid form. So cannabis, the, the, the THC, for example, starts out as what's called THCA, which is THC acid, and it needs to be heated up to a certain degree in order for it to become um, psychoactive into THC. If it isn't heat and heated up, it will just remain in the acid form. And our body, when we consume it as a juice, um, does we can't heat it up to that degree, so we won't get high. And I feel that if people start juicing cannabis and including it in their diet, mate, you'll see a revolution in health like we can't even imagine. Mm. Like, say goodbye to pharmaceuticals. I mean, you might have pharmaceuticals in specific instances where you need precision medicine. I mean, I'm not against pharmaceuticals at all. I think that in certain instances, you do need a pharmaceutical intervention um, for where we're at in society today. Um, but, uh, you know, if we start juicing and we integrate it into our health like that, uh, yeah, we may see, we will see a significant decline in pharmaceutical interventions. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe in, in the States in America where cannabis has been made available, the prescription rate has declined in those States. So people are using less prescription medicines and more cannabis. Hmm. So that's interesting. It's cool. It's pretty cool. Can you talk about some of your direct experiences or insights that you've had on cannabis and the varied ones, like the really insightful ones or the just little little insights? And Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, so you're, you're asking, can I talk about my insights that when I've used cannabis, like when I've yeah, consumed like, it? Yeah, like just some of the healing, your direct experiences with the healing properties of it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't use cannabis as much as I used to. Yeah. I still use it, but um, in fact... It's so interesting. I have to be mindful about what I say here because, you know, if I... In Australia, if, you, if you've got a criminal record, if you use cannabis or if you've, you know, been caught with any drugs, you technically can't be involved in a operational project that involves either the growing or the manufacturing or research of selling of cannabis. Mm. So let's just say for all intensive purposes, I've used things in my life and and you know, in particular, when, when I've used, yeah, when I've travelled around the world in countries where cannabis has been legal, and I've used ca- cannabis, which means that I don't use cannabis frequently. I find that the information that comes to me is quite specific to where I am at in my life, um, and I think that would be for anyone. I mean, it just I, I'm just able to gain a different perspective on my challenges, whether that be personal or family or relationship or, or business, I, I get these insights as to how to potentially look at the challenge from a unique lens, more from an objective or a different subjective perspective. Um, and that's very useful because it informs me of what I can do differently to to perhaps advance my position in whatever it is I'm doing. So I, I and that's not just cannabis, that's just, that's just, you know, psychedelics generally. And cannabis, I would, I mean, I would define, you know, THC as a mild psychedelic. Um, and, and if you combine THC with other cannabinoids, it's just, it, 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 its impact is, I mean, THC on its own 
is is pretty powerful. If you eat it, it becomes significantly more powerful. It becomes mm. 11 hydroxy THC, and that's just uh, I don't know the percentage amount, but it, it's significantly stronger than if you um, um, consume it via um, vape or smoke, mm. because when you when you vape or smoke, the onset is very rapid. But the decline is also quite rapid, and you have a, a shorter um, um, uh, time frame in which the half life lasts. But when you consume cannabis as an edible, the onset takes much longer. But then it's it's metabolized differently by the by the liver, and it becomes much stronger. So yeah, the the, the healing potential is increased significantly. Um, but the insights, they, I mean, I, I've 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 learned so much. I mean, if I compare myself to where I was at ten years ago before I'd used cannabis. Before I do psychedelics, man, I was just a I was just a shit person. I mean, I say that because I'm pretty judgmental, and I probably wasn't a shit person. But I I can reflect on the decisions I made, who I was, how I acted, how I interacted, what I had to prove to you know I'm I am lovable. I am. Please love me. Please please love me, and I'll do anything, and I'll I'll lie, I'll cheat, I'll steal. Like you know, I didn't necessarily steal and lie and cheat, but I did act in ways that are accordance to what I would deem as a person that I wouldn't want to hang out with. It's just like, oh man, you're so lost. I was really lost. So, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still relatively lost, but I'm way more in the clear. Like I'm still in the forest, but, but I'm making my way through it. And I feel more comfortable being in the forest, mm. much more comfortable. And I guess cannabis and these other medicines have, have created a pathway for me to feel more comfortable and just more okay of being in this crazy chaos of, of life because mm. it's pretty mad. And life is mad. Yeah, man. It, it can get awfully complicated and it's, it's hard to find ways in which to distill clarity, isn't it? Like yeah. What tools to, like what are some tools that you, you, you're saying you meditated before? Yeah, I meditate practically every day. Yeah. I mean, like as a practice, I mean, I, I, I try to meditate without it being a practice just to be present in the moment and, mm. Look like when I was waiting to get into your house, I was just looking at the trees outside your house and just just looking at them and not trying to think about it or judge it or just just feel into the tree. Um, it sounds really new agey, but it, it helps. It helps because I'm I, I was brought up on on Ritalin, so I was diagnosed with ADHD as a child. So I was constantly fed amphetamines as a mm. kid growing up. Man, that's wow. pretty nasty stuff. Yeah, like it really like I was crazy, dude. Like I was so crazy as a kid, just constantly taking like a derivative or a, or a, it was almost molecularly identical to like speed or cocaine. Wow. And I'm a kid just taking this and I was pretty sensitive, you know, all Jeez. I needed was some love and some, and some attention, but because I didn't get it. Um, and not to say that my parents or anyone in my environment was at fault. It's just the way it was, but you develop some pretty nasty behaviors. Mainly I became obsessive compulsive with thinking. Like I've, I've, uh, I'll talk about a psychedelic experience in a moment. That was pretty epic for me, but I became a compulsive thinker. So I, I, I hypothesized that when I was a kid, I was just not thinking. I was in the world. I was like, oh my God, a tree. I want to climb it. I want to just be involved in everything. Um, and I want to just, you know, experience life to the fullest. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. That's too much. Too much. You can't, you can't do that. You can't jump and, up and down. So uh, obsessive compulsive in your thinking, what does that mean? Like well, if you so, have a thought and you want to act on it? So, I'll, so, so, so I took Ritalin. Yeah. And I believe that created a, a compulsive process of, of thinking. So from this one point in life where I was a kid just being free and doing whatever I needed to do, I then take this medicine that hyper-focuses you, gets you to think about the task at hand, and just creates this loop of thought. So obsessive-compulsive, basically between the ages of about 14 to 16 to my mid-20s, 
I had obsessive compulsive disorder, which was, you know, typically obsessive compulsive disorder is, you know, I need to leave the light on or I need to turn it on a few more times, like four times, or I wash my hands obsessively because I think I'm going to get germs. That's, that's basic obsessive compulsive disorder. I had it at a level above where I also believed that if I didn't turn the light switch on four times, or if I didn't adjust my necklace in a particular way, if I didn't adjust the volume on the radio to like an even number, or if I didn't stop the song on a particular time, bad things would happen in my life. I believed that bad things would come to me, which is a pretty warped way of seeing the world. Not only does it reinforce negative behavior, it actually kind of puts you in a position where you're constantly looking for something bad to happen to you. And that's just a horrible way to live. Yeah. You're constantly looking for the negative in life. Yeah. So I was constantly doing that. And, and, and I also suffered from anorexia, um, which I picked up from my mum. Bless her soul, love it a bit, and she's on her healing journey. But uh, it was pretty tough, man, going through anorexia, having obsessive compulsive disorder. Like that's it's not a fun way to live. So, no way. And I wasn't even aware of it. That's the worst part. I was just in this experience, in this crazy world, trying to make something of myself, dealing with this. And then I, had this, I started using psychedelics, and I'll remember this until, until I die or if I, maybe I won't, but I think maybe, I will. Maybe you'll remember it after you die. Well. Maybe who knows where I'll go after this warp, wicked experience. But, um, I was on a psychedelic and I had the first, I had an objective view of the anorexia. I was like, I was walking back and forth trying to decide whether I should eat. even though I was hungry. What's psychedelic? It's on LSD. Yeah. And uh, I was at a festival and I was really hungry. And, um, I went to the food market area to eat and, the mind was just, no, you can't eat. You need to lose weight. You need to look good. You want to impress people. Like, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so I decided to turn back and I went to the dance floor. And then I was thinking, oh, no, but I'm so hungry. I need to eat. So I went back. And then the same voice came in. Oh, no, you can't eat. You can't. Why are you going to eat? You're not going to look good. You want to lose weight, don't you? Mm. So I went back. And this happened repeatedly. And I was like, whoa, what is this? I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a discussion inside my head about whether I should nourish my body. That's really warped. That's the first time I saw the anorexia. And then that took a, a lot of work, effort, energy, and a loving relationship with someone who, who loved me and accepted me for who I am to get over that. Mm. And now I'm free of it. Like it took seven, more than seven years to get free of it. But that insight, that was the pivotal point. That was the start. Yeah. yeah. And then so uh, how did you integrate that insight straight after? I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you because I was still young at the time, so I don't know how I integrated. I just, I was aware of it. It was the first time where I became aware that I had an eating disorder. Like I, I knew inherently I had an eating disorder. Like I knew the behaviors weren't right, but I didn't have the, uh, the ability to, to, to just act on it. It was just this, this behavior. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, um, I'm not uh, going to eat because I want to look good. But then I realized that the, where it came from and what it was doing to me and the impact that it has on my life and, and it, it's got such a bad effect, man. It really taints every relationship. Mm. It just changes the way you interact with society and environment mm. and friends. Like you just, the way you see the world is completely governed by this little box of narrow thinking that, you know, you have to do this. You have to be that you have to act this way. Mm. And it just creates this, this version of you that's um, pretty flawed. Mm. Um, so, so I've just been able to work on that. Um, and I can still see how it, it can, it can, it will, it's a, it's, it's something that if I'm not aware of, I can fall back into that system. So I'm aware of it, but it's, it's just, it's fine. I eat with absolute joy. I love food. I just love, I just love experiencing this life. Like mm. I really appreciate it. And sometimes it's really tough and I go through some crazy, some just crazy thoughts and feelings and emotions, but 
Yeah, it's better than what it ever has been, that's for sure. It's so good. Yeah, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it, what other insights like with the um with the obsessive compulsive thinking, mm. did you have any how did you change that or how have you moved yeah. through that? Yeah, well I got onto a guy named Bruce Lipton. Yeah. He's a really interesting um, biologist who has a pretty radical review. I wouldn't call it radical because it makes sense to me, but a lot of scientists think it's radical. But he he believes that the environment dictates how the the cells evolve or how how genes express themselves. So I watched a video of his... Excuse me. I watched a video of his... It's actually a really cool story. I watched a video of his about a week before Rainbow Serpent 2014. And he was talking about, oh, the cells are influenced by the environment. And if you believe in negativity, you'll create a negative response and you'll create neuropathways that reinforce that. And you're basically living in a vortex of negativity. And it was the Friday of the Rainbow Serpent. And that video just clicked, just made sense. I'm like, oh my God, that's what my OCD is. Every time I believe something bad is going to happen, I reinforce the behavior of that bad um, of that negativity and I strengthen that neuro pathway and I just basically am leaving myself for a, a life of just misery and pain. Oh, it's yeah. a great way to put it. So, so, and, and here's the interesting thing. I hadn't done LSD for about a year or two um, prior to that because of this, this, this negative way of seeing the world. So I thought, oh my God, this is revolutionary for me. I feel like I'm empowered now. So why not try out this new way of thinking with two drops of LSD? So I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I did it and I met my partner now I've been with for five and a half years that day that wow. I made that decision. And um, I, I got out of a, a toxic nine year relationship. Like it just my whole life changed after that one integration of belief. And I'm still like, it's still sometimes challenging because, you know, you, you grow up believing something so fiercely. And sometimes when you're, when you're in a state where I feel like when I feel sick, I just don't just put me in my room and let me be like, I don't want to see the world. I, I'm, I become negative and nihilistic and. I just don't want to be in this experience. But you, if I'm feeling good and I'm healthy and I'm in my practice and I'm meditating and I'm appreciating, ah, it's like I love life. I be, I'm so optimistic. I really believe that we're on the right path. And I, I, I know there's so much out there that you could focus on to, 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 to integrate that nihilism and to really just go, nah, it's not worth it. But I, nah, I believe that there's, I believe we're going to get through this. I believe that the planet's going and the human race will we'll succeed in some way. Like we will, we're going to be here for a long time. We're going to explore space and mm. yeah, we're going to do some pretty amazing things as a, as a society. We just need, just need to get our act together and mm. slowly but surely that tipping point will happen. We just need to continue on our paths individually to better ourselves. And that will create wonderful conversations like long form discussion like this. I mean, this is just, I mean, even though I feel like I've done most of the talking and I'd love yeah. to, well, to, that's what you're here for. Yeah, fair enough. But like, you know, I, uh, people are, investing more in long form discussion and informing themselves onto how life could be and perhaps should be. And that's empowerment that we've never experienced before in, in, in society. Like mm-hmm. at least from, from my knowledge, like we've never had a time in history where we've had so much information available and we've had the ability to make better choices because mm-hmm. information's key. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tool that we need to Nelson Mandela said it, you know, education is empowering. So we just need to educate ourselves and be more wise about what's going on and, maybe be less trusting of the the political systems that we've that we've just given us our sovereignty to and the psychedelics are a conduit to that realization and i don't know if psychedelics were were banned because of like there's consu- i don't know i don't buy into conspiracy theories as tempting as they are but perhaps the psychedelics they're just banned because people are stupid that that's one theory right there but 
people are becoming less stupid. I mean, the FDA just approved, they, they granted psilocybin as a breakthrough therapy not so long ago, which means that there will be a lot more research into psilocybin mm. in the coming years. And Colorado just decriminalized psilocybin. A state in California called Oakland just decriminalized psilocybin, peyote, iboga in the last week. It's mm. happening, man. The same thing that happened with cannabis a couple of years ago, like a, a decade or two ago, is now happening with a psychedelic. So mm. it's just a matter of time before this thing is just vibrating in a new way. Mm. So mm. it's pretty cool. Yeah, you can, you can see that healing making quick change like my, I had a vision once like where if all world leaders just smoke DMT once shit will get sorted pretty quick because they just have a, a like you know a out of space view of the earth how precious life is how we're all connected like they'll just have a transcendent view of the, all their traumas and suffering that they're drive being driven by and all the like unsustainable systems and they'll just see we can organize ourselves so much more intelligently than we are right now yeah and so it it feel like that's what's actually happening with psychedelics like it's just if once they're getting legalized like this more and more people using them like and leading the way is california in a lot of ways isn't it yeah california and and israel and parts of europe right as well it's all over it's all over the shop um i'd say america is like it is it's the land of dreams like they, they just go into places where we just don't dare going. Like they first off went in the place where they just de- made everything illegal. Mm. And now they're going in the direction where they're just making everything legal with, and it's America's crazy. America's mm. so crazy. If you, people think America's like this hub of cannabis, which it is, but, but I often deviate the conversation away from America when I invite, when I advise people on where to look at for cannabis opportunities from an investment perspective or from just from good regulation perspective, like where can we look to understand how we can better regulate cannabis um, like, you know, Australia's got a pretty uh, archaic and crazy cannabis regulation system. Yeah. But Israel and Canada have much better systems in certain respects. But you can integrate them all and learn from each other. But in America, 33 states have introduced cannabis regulations for either medicinal or, or recreational. Right. But at a, federal leg- at a federal level, it's illegal. So even though in the state of California, you can access cannabis medicinally or recreationally, if you're caught by a federal cop, it's a uh, jail time right there. Wow. Yeah, so it's pretty chaotic. But yeah, it's 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 this change all over the world is happening, and um, it's it's inspiring. And you're right; it's it's just it's coming out in a way now where the science is is catching up, and all of the rationalists and the and the materialists and the and the uh, the, the old school conservative thinkers who will just go, "I oh, know the research doesn't support that." The research does support it and it's now it's 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 getting closer than it ever has before. So we've actually, you know, we've actually got the systems and tools in place to, to measure and, and provide the outcomes. And if anyone just goes like the old religion, you know, uh, Bible bashes, it's like, oh, well, dinosaurs didn't exist. Here's the evidence. It's like, oh, no, they still it's like God put them there to test us. Mm-hmm. It's like the only there's only so much ludicrous um, way of thinking or there's only so much crazy in the world that can be stand, uh, like could be tolerated. So. Mm. people in in i reckon in 100 years time people are just going to look back and just laugh like at the prohibition period like could you believe that they made alcohol illegal like it's ridiculous mm. it's, it's absolutely ridiculous mm. and if anything that the worst part about prohibition is it creates war pro no one no one needs to you don't need a, a you don't need to be a rocket scientist to look at the issues that prohibition causes it creates criminality it creates a black market and this is uh, Jonathan Haidt is a guy who came up with this, he, and I so agree with it. He, he basically said, 
you don't see people who own liquor stores going on turf wars with each other. In the Al Capone era where you're dealing with prohibition, you did. You had mobsters and gangsters that were selling alcohol and killing each other on the streets for alcohol. It's ludicrous to think that people would do that today. Mm. But you do have it for cannabis and other drugs because it's illegal. Mm. So we just need to regulate the damn thing and mm, just bring mm. it, bring quality to the system because also that quality, this is, this is my pet peeve. It's like if I, the reason I want to see cannabis and other drugs regulated so badly is because it just allows us to have a quality system that we can trust. It's like mm. people in Australia you're dealing with a huge black market. It's proposed that there's more than 100,000 patients on the black market using cannabis. I, I believe it's more. But the issue with that is that people just don't know what they're getting, one. And two, even if they are getting something of quality because there's no quality systems in place, you don't know if it's been laid with pesticides, you don't know if they're heavy metals. And if, if you're giving something that's got pesticides and heavy metals and microbials and um, to, to a child or to a patient that is very sick, that could be absolutely horrific for their health. So there's no quality testing um, systems in place for the black market. Or, and, and further to that, let's say I am getting something that is of quality. Cannabis is a very volatile plant. So if you grow it, if, if I take a clone from a cannabis plant and I grow the clone in two similar environments and I harvest them at, at similar times, yeah. the molecular composition of the plant, the chemical construction of that plant will be different, even though they came from the same clone, It'll be different. So... And there's a lot of research into this in Israel, which is just fascinating. But the point I make here is that if you're giving someone a medicine and this is the medicine one week and then the next week it's different, that's just, it's not helpful. You're not, you're not going to get consistency and the black market doesn't ensure consistency. And I, and I'm, I'd actually like to veer away from the term black market. Anyone that's growing cannabis for patients and that's doing so from an ethical perspective is the compassionate market. And fuck yeah, man. Good on you guys for, um, for Mm. doing that. Mm good on you guys for, for being unsung heroes. Mm. Um, but we need to um, regulate this so that people, I mean, look, you could grow it yourself. There's people that argue that empower us, let us grow it ourselves. But in Canada, you can grow yourselves and less than 1% of the market grow it for themselves. Cause it's like, you can, you can brew your own beer, but that doesn't mean you're going to. Mm. Some people just don't want to, they just want someone to do it for them. So, mm. so I think that it's better and more empowering if you do it yourself. Mm. And again, I can't take that position cause I've, I, I don't do that. Um, so, so, and I'd probably fall into the category where I'd say, Hey, mate, can you, I'd rather you grow it for me. Maybe I would grow it for myself if I, if it was legal and, and I could have the flexibility to do so without any fear of persecution. But, um, you need consistency, you need regulation and you need a system that people can trust because you're dealing with the most vulnerable of people. And, and there was a study done about a year or two ago, by a group called the Lambert initiative, which is a research hub out of uh, Sydney in the University of Sydney and they had patients send their cannabis to the facility to be tested so they could see what it was so they could say hey this is what's working for patients this is what isn't some people sent oregano like people were buying fucking oregano what's oregano like orig- um, uh, oregano uh, yeah yeah they're buying oregano and they thought it was cannabis it's like that's just that's what happens when you've got a black market people that's will so be taken advantage of yeah so can't have that and and, our, and Australia system's very restricted like it's very hard to access cannabis here even though you oh. can do so it's very difficult mm. so um, w- w- what areas Eric excite you about like cannabis innovation um, I from a medical perspective I think that cannabis will be 
I talked about that endocannabinoid deficiency before, and it's different for everyone. So I think cannabis will also usher in the era of personalized medicine. Like it won't be the sole reason why we have personalized medicine, but it's just, it's so strong. It's so, it's so strongly geared towards personalized medicine because eventually you have genetic testing. This is even available in the States. There are companies that do genetic testing. So you do a genetic testing. It will tell you where you are deficient in different endogenous cannabinoids and it will say, and it will look at, it will look at, you know, are you more prone to Alzheimer's? Are you prone to these diseases? And then they'll recommend cannabis strains that are rich in cannabinoids that have moderate evidence that support the use of that particular mm. strain or molecule to treat that disorder. Mm. So I believe that, you know, in, in the next uh, few decades, in the next decade or so, you'll have physicians treating patients as individuals and not as, you know, generic, you know, broad blanket approach patients like take this pill because it's worked on the average. You're not an average. Mm. You're not the average. You are you. You're the individual. Mm. Um, and I, I'm most excited about the way that it will revolutionize, revolutionize human health and empowerment of human health. Mm. And I really hope that it also, I'll be doing a podcast in the coming months about homeostasis and the, the benefits of homeostasis and way to keep yourself in homeostasis. And cannabis is not a panacea. It's not a silver bullet. Mm. It is another tool that we can use to get ourselves back to balance. But we should learn how to keep ourselves in balance through breathing, through meditation, through eating the right foods. So the thing I'm most excited for is actually not necessarily the cannabis itself, but what cannabis can teach people about how they can live sovereign lives. So that's mm. what I'm excited about from the medical perspective. And from the industrial perspective, man, it's going to be really cool when we have cars that are running on hemp fuel mm-hmm. and we're going to have houses that are built out of hemp. It's already happening. There's a, there's a company in Perth that does 3D printed hemp homes. Whoa. Yeah, that's madness. Are yeah. they cheaper? Are they how, what's they won't be cheaper now, but but it will be cheaper in the future. Wow, three D printed hemp homes, man! Like that's wicked. And the thing about a hemp home, especially in environments in like rural communities where they're prone to bushfires, the rate at which you can it get comes, high when it comes through. No, <laughs> it's like oh, we're going out. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but the seriousness of it is, it's the degree of heat that needs to um, exist in order for hemp to burn down hempcrete, the hemp material that's used to build homes. You can put a blowtorch to a hemp brick mm-hmm. and it will not catch on fire. Really? Nah. It extreme heats for oh. it to, to, to burn down. So most bushfires homes will be prone to bushfires. Like that's pretty special because mm. it's a big issue. You know, mm. we, we, when your house burns down, no one wants that. So you build your home out of hemp house won't burn down. Not unless it was like a volcano kind of eruption, mm-hmm. but that's pretty cool. So I, I imagine that, you know, in the next, I'm just excited about the, the way I can't see what the future holds for cannabis and I can only um, hypothesize, but I imagine that, you know, in, in the next, um, in, 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 by in a hundred years from now, like our cars will be built out of hemp, our fuel will be hemp fuel. Um, there, there are companies that are working on battery cells that are powered by, um, by hemp, um, uh, I, I don't know the specifics. I only read about this a week ago, but they conduct, they have a higher conducting rate for, um, than, than tr- traditional batteries, than graphene. Um, and they absorb and maintain the battery power for longer. Mm. So that's, that's really new. Um, and again, this is just ancient wisdom. Like I read an article um, yesterday that they, there was a discovery in China um, this week by National Geographic where they came across a 2,500 year old um relic that had cannabis in it and they that's that's the earliest record of cannabis being used recreationally to get mm. high it's been used for thousands and thousands of years prior to that as a medicine mm. but people didn't know if they used it 
to get high and now we have proof it's like of course they did i mean there's evidence that cannabis has been found in shakespeare's pipe um, but now the 2500 year old relic of these chi- ancient chinese um that used cannabis to get get fucked up that's great <laughs> Um, so, so back to your point of where I see the excitement is, I just it, it's just going to change culture. It's mm. like, you know, most people, I think that I, I look forward to a day where people aren't consuming alcohol, they're consuming cannabis and they're more, they're more flowing. They're not aggressive. They're not, they're not, they're not in a position where this, this has got this alcohol bath over them that just completely clouds their, and their judgment and, and, their, mm. and their ability to make rational decisions. I mean, you can still, I think you can still function on cannabis and have a great, beautiful discussion and also just not bring out that aggression and that, that kind of un, um, that, 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 uh, that, that underbelly of your, of your psyche mm. that, um, that needs a hug mm. cannabis. I mean, it does that, but it doesn't do that in the same way. So, you know, I mm. just look forward to a culture that's using, I just look forward to a culture that gets high and enjoys cannabis and, mm. you know, runs their life based on cannabis innovation, hemp cannabis innovation. And it's, it's happening. It's happening. It's going to happen really quickly. And you said that other area the other day is your like is the genetic testing yeah. to, to, to customize your experience. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so basically, you'll be able to have designer highs in the future. Like, um, like basically, you'll get you'll you'll do a swab under the tongue, send it to the company. They'll go, ah, oh, you know, you're deficient in these cannabinoids. Um, so here's here's what you should take. We'll mix some of this cannabinoid with that cannabinoid and these terpenes and these flavonoids. And here's a dedicated medicine, a dedicated medicine for you awesome that that's that's a huge step in in empowering human health mm. what i find on the fringe of that because i just like the i love the recreational side of it and i and i am a big proponent for recreational put it out there but i also feel that before we go down the recreational path you've got to get the medicine right first because mm. you know in america and in canada there's some stats that show that people who are patients are migrating to the recreational market to use cannabis because of the ability the, the accessibility of it mm. and you just lose the good data if that happens if, if people are just medicating on the recreational you, you just we want that data we need to understand how this works but i uh, when when designer highs come about like let's say i want to have a high that specifically gives me the giggles no munchie doesn't put me on the couch i'm energetic and i'm not confused or dazed and they go okay yeah you need this 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 and this and they just they they grow it for me and they or they extract it from me because they'll already have growers that have those cannabinoids and they come here's your specific here's your specified specialized cannabis product man that's gonna be wicked wow it's gonna be so cool and it's like i took i took ritalin for my whole life i don't take Mm -hmm. it anymore Mm -hmm. but there was a research study in um, in the UK in 2017 by a professor named Professor Ashtonson, and he basically took a, uh, the it was a one to one ratio of THC to CBD, gave it to twenty patients who uh, took who had ADHD. They found they met it that the results were as the, 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 for for hyperactivity it was um, the the results were as effective as Ritalin. It's like wicked, wicked. We can use cannabis now to to, to focus. Mm. So it's like we there's all these these unsung effects of cannabis that we just don't know about. So it's like the the more we learn, the better we are going to be at understanding how to use this. Mm. And this leads to some really cool research out of Israel. If you, can I tell you about this research? Mm. Sweet. There's this guy named Daddy Miri. He works out of a university called the Technion. Basically, he was a biologist, plant scientist. Got very interested in cannabis, but he didn't know why it worked for some people and not for others. So he's like, okay, let's figure it out. So he basically got permission from there's eight, there's eight currently in Israel, there are eight licensed producers of cannabis and they have been for like since the 2000 period, early two thousands. 
And he basically went to these licensed producers and said, hey guys, look, give me your cannabis. I'm going to test it and say, this is what the cannabis is made of. Like this is the, the molecular profile. This is yeah. the, there's how much THC and CBD and CBN and there's no CBC and there's none of this and there's, there's a bit of that. Let me take that, run a test on it. And then let me build an app that you give to your patients to use and I can track how they're, they're using their cannabis, like how they're using it, what, they're, what the effects of their health are, et cetera. So he's been building this mass database where he's every month getting the different products that are being grown, testing them and giving it to patients and then seeing the results. And he's building this huge database now of cannabis on an individualized level for patients. So he's already, he told me in conversation, he, he has identified the three strains that are effective for treating children with autism. Wow. Like the three molecular sequences of cannabis that are used to treat autism. It's like, whoa, that is, that's just so powerful. That's so cool. So when we have that information for ADHD and for epilepsy and for Parkinson's disease and for motor neuron disease and for cancers, et cetera, because his main interest is in cancer research. So he's looking at which cannabis um, strains kill cancer because basically what THC does is it, it's, and, and CBD is they, f- because CBD works on um, the immune system, it, 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 it and, and THC um, and CBD together work synergistically, but the, they, they basically, because they work on the immune system, they, they in, in, at least in, in, in animal models and in, in, in Petri dishes, they've shown that cannabis forces cancer cells to commit cell suicide called apoptosis. So they'll go to the cancer cells like, hey, hey, you guys are your mutated cells. You need to die. The cancer cells die. And all the safe cells around them, just they, they don't touch them. So they target the specific cancer cells. So he's fascinated to know which of these cannabinoids in synergy together do that most effectively. And he's, he's doing it. He's finding it out. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So they're basically injecting rats with cancers and then they're running different strain A and they go, no, that doesn't work. But strain B works. But for this type of cancer mutation on... Um, on breast cancer, even though strain A didn't work for pancreatic cancer, it eliminates um, breast cancer. But strain B, which did the pancreatic cancer, doesn't do anything to the, the breast cancer. It's, mm. And that's the research we need. That's, that's the science that we need to take cannabis to the next level. But it's still, it's early days, but it's happening. It's that's happening. amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, got, it's, it's that powerful that it kills cells. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't kill them. It's just like, hey, uh, come on, guys. Hey, mate, like, come on, stop living. Yeah, stop it, stop it. I mean, you know, we know you wanted to have your run and we know you want to like, you want to live as well, but it's like, you know, for the greater good, just fuck off. <laughs> just please. That's and, amazing. But, but again, you know, humans need to take, take action. It's like, you know, if you, if you got cancer, I don't know, man, I don't want to say if you get cancer, why did you get cancer? Because it's like children get fucking cancer. It's like, and this is, this is one of my mental conundrums. It's like, you know, I, I believe that we're in somehow, in some way, we're responsible for our actions and responsible for our sicknesses. But that can lead you down a dark, dark hole of like, of, of just hatred because it's like, you know, why did I get this? Why am I this? Why am I that? And that's that OCD thing. But, you know, it's, it's, I, st- I just think that people still, they should also, you know, look at their behaviors as to why they might have got into that position. Mm. Like, what well, maybe, maybe you just, it was a freak of nature and you just got sick. But maybe you did something that led you down that path that you compromised your, your health mm. and you need to look at that. And, mm. you know, and, and, and sickness is a great tool to have you focus on what you've done wrong or what you need to do better. Mm. It so, does. so, it's very humbling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, thank, you know, I, have, I haven't been sick and I don't want to be, and I'll knock on wood later yeah but um yeah it's a, it's a realization it's like yeah we're getting we're getting sick mm. and we need to work on that mm. we need to we need to get better um 
What's, and what's your company specifically doing what, that you can talk about? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so rather than... I won't talk about what my company does. I'll just talk about what I do. Mm. Um, so I, I work on a number of different projects. I'm working with one group right now and developing a range of medicine, like CBD-specific medicines mm. that, um, that will be used for patients here in Australia and, uh, in, and in different parts of the world. Um, and that's really cool. I mean, I've just learned so much doing that. It's, it's, it's just, hey, go create a medicine. Okay, I have no experience, but I'd love to create a medicine. That's that's beautiful. So, I'm right now working on on developing my own range of, of cannabis medicines. Um, I've also started a not for profit a few years ago that is now the largest industry association in Australia. So it's called the Medical Cannabis Council, and mm. basically it's the country's largest body that uh, that acts as a communication um, 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 hub for industry to government. So when I started working in the cannabis space, I'm I'm all for community, man. I'm just like let's just let's just all hug each other. So at the start of my time in the cannabis space, I was just looking at all these people trying to do these things. It's like, I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do this and we're competition. So we're not going to tell each other what we want to do, but we're going to just go do it. And it's like, well, you all want to do the same things and you all have the same values and interests and, and directions that you want to pursue. So why don't we just like have conversations and, you know, take those conversations to government so that we can make a better system. So, and it's, that's nothing new. That's just an association. So I just thought, okay, well, I'll just build an association. Mm. And I just did it because it's just like, oh, I, I'm, I just want to do it. And now it's the largest in the country, which is cool. We still have a lot of work to do, but it's, um, and we've had a lot of struggles because I've never done this before and I've had to learn a lot. And I've worked with really awesome people who have been so, so fantastic in, in helping create these visions. Um, but that's that's a project that I'm working on. Um, and then, and then, and then I just, I just talk to people a lot. Like I just, I give a lot of advice out. So mm. people just come and say, Hey, I want to get in the cannabis space. And usually I'll try and convince them not to, <laughs> um, unless they've got a really good plan. Cause it's also like a lot of people just see the money and they're like, Oh, I want to grow cannabis. It's like, okay, mm. do you really want to grow cannabis? Mm. Why do you want to grow cannabis? Oh, I want to make money. Okay. That's a short sighted way of, um, getting into the cannabis space. Like mm. you can, that's fine. If you want to make money. Great. I want to make money as well. Like I do. Mm. It's a great tool to, to, to do things. Um, right now um but there's there needs to be a deeper purpose and you need to understand what you're getting into because um you know right now it's just a saturated space you've got hundreds of companies starting in australia um and a lot of them just think oh we'll grow cannabis and sell it it's like nah man it's so restrictive oh no nah lady it's so restrictive um not only from a growing perspective but once you've grown the product and you've invested millions in your infrastructure costs it's like who are you going to sell it to you can't just sell it to a patient you know you have to you can but it's very restrictive and it's very difficult so you know and the and the ways that cannabis is distributed in australia is largely determined by the doctors and the doctors aren't sold yet doctors just aren't they they're, they're becoming more sold on it um, in fact, now, as of this month, we've had more than seven and a half thousand patients of prescriptions filled for cannabis in Australia. So that's, it's not a lot, but it's a lot in respect to if you side by, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some really encouraging numbers and then I'm going to give you some really horrible numbers. But if you put us side by side to Canada in the early years of their development, man, we're smashing Canada out of the ballpark when it comes to patient growth. We are accelerating rapidly. And I've done some forecasting and I propose that by in the next four years, we'll have more than 200,000 prescriptions filled. In, in cannabis, which is awesome. But if you go and look at Germany in their first year or in their first two years, more than 40,000 prescriptions have been filled because mm. they just have a, they've basically given doctors what's called discretionary prescribing, meaning I'm a doctor. I can describe, I can prescribe to you without any type of government approval. I just, I just, it's my decision. Mm. Whereas in Australia, every single cannabis script that's filled is okay. Is, is, is approved by the government, the TG on a case by case basis. 
unless you become what's called an authorized prescriber, which means that you're a doctor, you've applied to prescribe a specific product to a specific set of patients, so epilepsy patients, but there's a lot of um, approvals that are required to do that. You have to go through an ethics committee and that takes time as well. And you, you have to provide a lot of uh, background information into the product and research that's gone into the product, etc. cetera. So it's, there's only like 57 prescribers in Australia, but the other prescribers are all doing it on a case by case basis. Mm. And that takes time, man. Because when you're prescribing a cannabis to someone, it's not like fill a script. The, 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 the cannabis is technically what's called an unregistered medicine. So when you prescribe an unregistered medicine, you have to fill out what's called a special access scheme category B form. And the special access scheme category B form is basically, it's a two-pager form, so it seems simple, but you have to fill out two sections, clinical justification, which means you have to justify why you're prescribing it to your patient. This is where the research is. This is how it's been used in other patients. This is how much I'm going to give to my patient. This is why I'm going to give it to my patient, et cetera. And that mm. takes time for a doctor who's seeing patients in 15-minute slots. Mm. And the other is you have to also provide a medical history of your patient saying this is what they've used and this is why it hasn't worked. So for the average doctor who doesn't know how to prescribe cannabis, not only from a regulatory perspective, because most doctors don't know how to prescribe unregistered medicines, but doctors don't know how to dose cannabis. They don't know how to titrate it meaning they don't know how much to give you, they don't know what they should be giving you, and they don't know how you should be increasing it over time. They can't just say, take, you know, take two cannabis and you know, do that over a week. It's like, no, you have to take you know, 0.25 milligrams and then in three days increase that to 0.5 milligrams. And then if you're feeling good, leave it at that. And then if it's, you're not feeling it, then increase it by another two point. It's like, it's, this is not knowledge that doctors have ever been taught. And you go to a doctor and go, oh, this is what you need to do. They're going to be like, whoa, 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 this is complicated and I don't have enough confidence or evidence to actually do that. And then you need to preserve them the evidence and there's just a huge learning curve. Mm. So the reason why cannabis is slowly starting to pick up in numbers, in, in the last 12 months, um, the majority of prescriptions have been filled, like more than 5,000 in Australia. And that's because there are now clinics that are opening in Australia. Mm. And these clinics have doctors that have been trained in the, in the area of being prescribed, of prescribing cannabis. And that's why you're seeing this, this bottleneck opening. And they also, the, the, the TGA created what's called a streamlined system. So rather than, because what you had to do in the past was you had to apply to the TGA and then you had to apply to the state to get access to cannabis. So there's two applications. Now they've just made it one application that goes to the state, uh, to the federal. And if it's approved by the federal, it's automatically approved by the state. So that's making it easier. So it's slowly but surely becoming mm-hmm. simpler to access cannabis. Wow, fascinating, man. You know a lot about it. Yeah. thanks for sharing all the knowledge yeah, it's, thank you um, for having me it's informed fun. a lot of people no doubt including myself yeah my, my pleasure thank you for um, being open to the dialogue I, I appreciate what you do and thank you for sharing your uh, space with me to open up my knowledge and uh, creating that environment it's really awesome pleasure man